Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, March 25th, 2022. The headlines. I'm going to take the New York Times to read a headline. This one cracked me up. Uh, Where's Adams relents on vaccination of pro athletes? I didn't tell my distinguished guest about this one. Mayor Eric Adams. <laughs> I got to laugh, man. So he, he bet there was a rule that uh, New York athletes uh, could not play uh, if they weren't vaccinated. Uh, and the Brooklyn Nets are heading into the playoffs, and they absolutely positively need a guard named Kyrie Irving, who for reasons I don't really understand, because I don't think he could articulate them in any way that makes sense, has decided he doesn't want to get vaccinated, and the Nets are desperate, desperate, I tell you, to have him play. So they got their lobbyists to pressure Eric Adams into dropping the rule, uh, and so now uh, Kyrie Irving can play, and everybody's happy. What a joke. Just a joke, ladies and gentlemen, uh, how these things happen. Anyway, that's the headline uh, in the news, and I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and we'll take the deep dive and all the issues of the day. So take it away, distinguished guest. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an editorial board, editorial board member and occasional columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. And ladies and gentlemen, that's breaking news. I mean, she's just going to duck around that one. First of all, take occasional out of that sentence. <laughs> it is She's a columnist. Yeah. She's a columnist for my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. And sometimes, as a longtime reader and been supporting you guys forever with my subscription, it's about freaking time. Ladies and gentlemen, Ramana Hussein. Tell us all about it, Ramana. The good news uh, was broke. Did you tell me Rob Feeder broke the story? Yeah, Is he that- did. I mean, okay. I, I knew about it uh, a few weeks ago. It wasn't official. I mean, as people who listen to the show may or may not know, I joined the editorial board uh, late January at the Chicago Sun-Times. Before that, I was um, working as an editor. And I did do columns once in a while. Anyway, um, my new boss, Lorraine Forte, told me that I could always do columns. So I was doing them. But then uh, just a few weeks ago, she was saying that she wanted me and Lee to have a monthly column. Um, I think he's going to be doing it every uh, first Sunday of the month, Sunday of the month. And I'm going to be doing it every third Sunday of the month. I'm sure that might flip around sometimes 
depending on who's going on vacation, when and who can do it. But so now it's an official thing that we're going to be doing. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try to come up with ideas or at least evergreen ideas. I have uh, a couple in mind already. So um, I hope they will be worthwhile for the readers. And I look forward to doing more columns, even though I, I did, I, I probably would have done one once a month, but this makes it official. So yeah, I guess I can call myself columnist and not feel like an imposter. Like when you used wow. to call me it, Ben. I, I've been calling uh, Romana a columnist for three years now. Uh, and the fir- she has the first thing that you need to be a col- columnist, ladies and gentlemen. And the number one thing you need to be a columnist is to have opinions. You cannot be a columnist unless you have opinions. And as you know, Ramana Hussein has opinions. But, you know, most journalists have a lot of opinions. I think most journalists are very, very opinionated. And they, I think now, I think the last couple of years, we have been talking about whether our opinions seep into our reporting. These are like, you know, hard news stories, but you know, they do who you are does seep into your stories. That is Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I remember early on, uh, and, uh, she's come back to the sometimes Tina Svandelis came on my show very early on. And, uh, she, <laughs> I remember her saying to me, she goes, they told me you were going to ask me my, for my opinion on this. I think that they, in that sentence was Romana, like, look out, this guy is going to ask you for your opinion. Uh, and Tina is old school, even though she's young, but she plays it by the book. No opinions. But by the way, shout out to Tina. She's come back to the bright one. So yeah, I, I, Tina and I are really, really good friends. So um, I did know about that. And I I have to tell you, I predicted her coming back to the Sun-Times. I just didn't know it was going to be this quick. But I'm really happy for her. So she uh, had mentioned it to me um, a few weeks ago. She was looking for someone's email and I jokingly told her, I'm like, are you trying to come back to the Sun-Times? And then she texted me back and we're going back and forth. And it was just, I think it was made official this Monday. So um, she's coming back. I think she's starting oh, on Monday. T- Monday's her first day. So yeah, we're really good friends. Um, you know, I am also older too. I think when I was younger, starting off as a journalist, I was covering a lot of hard news. Like I was, you know, just doing, you know, court stories or other things. And now, you know, the older I get, I'm just like, I don't really care anymore. And I do definitely have opinions. And I think it, I think it does change. And, you know, a lot of podcasts, I have to tell you about this one podcast I've been listening to, it's called the Trojan Horse Affair. And it's a New York Times uh, serial podcast. And it's great. And it's about um, this incident that happened in London, London, and it talks about Islamophobia and this um, journalism student who's South Asian and Muslim um, points this story out to this serial podcaster and he takes it on and they end up doing a story and they touch upon um, objectivity a little and how your background does influence journalism. And in this story, one of the particular things they were talking about was how, because, you know, there, there are actually a lot of Muslim journalists in South uh, in England, but a lot of them kind of miss this one huge, a lot of red flags on the story because they, of who they weren't. And this kid was who was a journalism student who actually was in medical school and decided to leave um, medical school to go into journalism was kind of talking about this. And it's it's an interesting case. The other guy is a white guy who's not Muslim. And, you know, there's parts of it where he's complaining about things. And this guy's like the Muslim kid is like, well, welcome to my life. You know, so it's it's actually a really good podcast. I think it makes you think a lot. Um, and I'm, I am thinking about writing a possible column on that and about other things, kind of tying it into with other things in journalism and news stories. Uh, well, yeah, no, I could go on and on about the the, uh, 
the farce of objectivity, which is such a joke. Uh, but I think for a fun thing, we should have uh, Tina come on our segment with you and me, and then we should try to get her, force her to, to give her opinion about the watcher. No, I'm not going to do it. Um, all right. Uh, you mentioned uh, Islamophobia. So I'll start with this. I had a list of things I wanted to talk to you about. Let's start with uh, your beloved Chicago Cubs. Uh, as you know, you and I, I've, I was a Cub fan my whole life, and I just quit on them because of Ricketts. The Ricketts family, I find, um, uh, to quote Hillary Clinton, deplorable. Uh, funding, uh, raising money for Donald Trump at Wrigley Field is deplorable, in my humble opinion, in a city that's 87% or 85% against Trump. Just think about that, Romana. This is their home. This is the way they're they're respecting their hometown. So that's my opinion. Uh, and uh, they got in trouble, the Ricketts family, because they want to purchase. I thought they were broke. And, you know, they, they're too cheap to buy anybody good for the Cubs. But apparently they have enough money to go buy a soccer team in England. And now they're getting in trouble. Uh, because, well, you take it away because of uh, old man Joe Ricketts, uh, Islamic phobic comments he made a few years back. Uh, I, I, this, this one is, is got your name written all over it for a column. Uh, so take it away. Yeah. So I have to say this, this touches upon the fact that they want to buy a soccer club just shows you how popular soccer is. I always tell my husband and I make have this reoccurring um, theme where we argue about sports, not that I'm a big sports fan, but I always say anecdotally, I think the public is losing interest in football and soccer is gaining momentum in this country. I'm not saying football is not popular, but I'm just saying anecdotally with my nephews, they don't really care about football as much as my brother did, who was a generation Xer. So these are young, young generation Z and you know, I don't know. It could be different in different families, but soccer is definitely more popular than it was when I was a kid. So the, I, the Ricketts wanting to buy a soccer team tells you a lot I, It's in general. But um, so the Ricketts who owns the Chicago Cubs all of a sudden want to buy this team, Chelsea. Um, and I've heard a little bit about it because I have heard, I mean, about the soccer club because I have friends who are big soccer fans and they know all the teams in England. And they told me, you don't want to cheer for the Chelsea. And I'm like, well, I'm not really that passionate about um, soccer unless my friends really like it. But I do like soccer and I like it. I think it's a fun sport. So anyway, so while, you know, they're discussing this, it turns out that Chelsea has a couple Muslim players. And Rick Morrissey did a great column for the Sun-Times this week. I don't know if you saw it, but he pointed out that the team is in a, you know, is in a neighborhood where like 14% of the population is Muslim. And so there's been like on Twitter, there's a hashtag where they say, say no to the Ricketts. And a lot of people, I think I've seen some articles um, in the Tribune where even Chicago fans who support Chelsea are saying they don't want the Ricketts to buy um, this team. So there's been just like this, you know, and then, and like I mentioned, there's a couple of players on the team who don't want the Ricketts to buy um, Chelsea. There's also, uh, I think there was at least one black player who's not Muslim, but he said that he does not want them to buy, um, you know, the team. And th which is which is pretty interesting, if you have to say, because it's like even overseas, it shows you how news spreads pretty fast now with the Internet. Um, you know, maybe years ago or decades ago, if, you know, the Ricketts had a racist family member, nobody really would have known unless somebody looked clipped out a you know newspaper clipping. Now you can just Google things and somebody could have just Googled them easily. So. The Ricketts family is, I mean, the Ricketts, 
who own the Cubs, it's technically it's Tom Ricketts, right? He's a general manager. The whole family owns a team. Their their um their argument is that the their father who made these comments. So like a couple of years ago, for those of you who may not know, I actually did a column on this um, incident. Um, there were emails that were leaked from Papa Ricketts. I, I'm forgetting his name for some reason. Joe, Joe Ricketts. Joe who basically had, um, you know, it wasn't just Islamophobia. He was going after Muslims for sure, but he also went after Mexicans. And I think he went after other immigrants. And then he went after Obama as well. I think he said Obama was a sex worker in Pakistan. Which is, it just, yeah, he's, it, was, it was just like crazy emails. And um, Tom Ricketts, who is, um, I think he's the CEO. I'm probably using the wrong term. He's, he's basically the, the face of the Chicago Cubs in Chicago. Um, in Chicago. And then one of the Ricketts brothers is also um, the governor of Nebraska. And he, he, yeah, he, you know, he's kind of, he's a big Trumper as well. Um, there's, and then there's Laura Ricketts, who's also, you know, has some sort of dealings with the, the, the Cubs as well. And I think she's the one Democrat of the family. But anyway, it turns out um, they, of course, you know, the the kids are like, you know, pointing out that they're not their father, their father doesn't own their teams, the team and the Cubs. And, you know, they so they made this whole PR stunt um, on Wednesday, the um, I think Tom Ricketts and maybe some other members of Cubs management went to London to present and show that they're not Islamophobic. I have to tell you that the Cubs, actually, after this came out, um, my brother happened to be the president of their mosque. It's a voluntary position, so um, he's not the president anymore. But during this whole fiasco, I think it happened in 2018, 2019, um, you know, the Cubs, I think, reached out to our mosque, our community center, and, you know, they said they wanted to, you know, meet some Muslims. And so they have been meeting with a lot of, they've been showing to a lot of the Cubs all of a sudden are showing to all these Muslim events. A couple of weeks ago, there was um, the council um, of Islamic organizations of greater Chicago had a luncheon at Maggiano's downtown. And it was so random. There was Cubs management there. So they've been coming to events. My, my thing is, okay, that's fine. And dandy. They actually had my brother throw out the first pitch um, at a game, I think in 2018, 2019, I forgot. Of course, my brother loved that. And they had a couple other um, heads of Muslim organizations throughout the first pitch. My brother's a huge sports fan. And the Cubs are like one of his favorite teams. My brother played baseball in high school. So we made jokes about the fact that he's probably happy that the Cubs are Islamophobic because this is the only way they got him on, on, you know, to throw the first pitch. That's a joke. He's really not happy about that. But anyway, um, you know, that's great that they're trying to reach out. They're sending people and trying trying to, you know, make amends. But I think it would be more important if they actually severed ties with Trump and said what their dad said was wrong. And whenever somebody says something Islamophobic, I think it would help if they would stand in front of the cameras with these Muslim groups and say this is wrong. We do not support the Islamophobic, um, you know, propaganda that comes out of these mouths of these right wingers. So I think that would go a long way instead of just coming to luncheons and having, you know, members of different organizations throw out the first pitch. I think that would be a lot more powerful if they did that, if they actually came out and spoke out and said, we do not support 
what Trump is saying about Muslims. We do not support what, you know, Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene says about Muslims. I think that would go a long, long way, but they haven't done that yet. So I think a lot of people, um, Morrissey did a good column and just kind of said like, you know, yeah, they're, you know, trying to distance themselves from their dad, but I think their dad does pull the strings in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually, money. I actually have a reporter, um, who told me that uh, he was talking to either the alderman or someone else that was tied to, you know, the Cubs in some way. And they said that they, they were keep, they kept reaching out to Papa Ricketts that day, or at least they were saying that one of, you know, the members of the Cub management team, one of the Ricketts, one of the Ricketts kids kept calling their dad to get advice. So he definitely has a, a play in all of this. And so, yeah, it's, 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 I definitely actually, I actually did want to write a column, of, uh, not a column, but an editorial about it um, this week. And, um, but then, you know, of course we had the Supreme court, uh, nomination hearings this week. And so I was busy writing that for Sunday. So, um, but I, I think, I think there's going to be still time for me to write about this because they haven't purchased the team yet. And so we'll be hearing a little bit more, I think. And so it's, it, it gives me time to see what the Cubs are going to do and see if this makes a difference at all. Well, I urge you to write a column, uh, putting aside the issue, uh, of, ownership in uh, England, because the point you just made is really compelling one and that this is an ongoing situation. So are you an ally in the, you know, in that term, how that term is used now? Are you an ally? Are you going to actively speak up whenever an incident happens? Or are you just going to try to finesse your way out of it with the PR stunts to try to lower the volume? And then you can continue to allow your park, your Wrigley Field to be used to raise money for a Republican Party that's dedicated to this hate. The promotion of hate, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, that's a perfect example. And how she went after Ilan Omar and and how the Republican Party wants to have it two ways, Ramana. And, and I really don't think you, you can. I don't think this is me speaking now, Ramana, but I don't think you should tolerate. We should tolerate that in this country where you kind of like, oh, yes, when I want to get an investment. And I want people to give me money for whatever project I have. I'm going to speak in the vaguest terms of tolerance and brotherhood. But then when I'm just going back to my normal discourse and electing my allies, I'm going to either look the other way or join the chorus. And I just think I really think it's time that we in this country stop people allowing people to play both sides that way. I agree. I agree. And Mick, my husband, um, actually made a good point. He's like, well, why like speak out now, now that they're interested in buying this team, now that it comes to money and, uh, you know, investing into something now you're coming out and speaking out because people are saying stuff. It's, it's just something that should have been said a long time ago and it shouldn't be tied to anything related to, you know, their business ventures. So yeah, it's, I, I mean, my column that I wrote like several years ago when the emails came out, um, kind of just talks about how it's kind of difficult being a Cub fan because I have to tell you, I know you and my husband love a lot of sports, including the Bulls. And I, I do like, I, I cheer for most Chicago teams, the Sox, the least amount, but I still, if they make it far enough, I would always root for them. I'm was born in Chicago. I want all Chicago teams to succeed. Cubs over Sox for sure. But the Cubs were the one team that I loved since I was like 13 years old. And they're the only team that I I, I really follow. I don't follow them like my brother or my husband, but I, I, I do. It was like the one team that I have emotional investment in. I have season tickets to the Cubs. And it's hard, you know what I mean? Going in and watching. And, you know, I, I actually just, when, you know, when there were some restrictions lifted last year, I did go to some games, but I went to very few. I only went to three and I was, I was, 
half-heartedly into it. And so it's it's getting harder and harder every day to be a Cubs fan for different reasons. Before it used to be because the team wasn't very good. And then, you know, they win the World Series. And then then you have like you know, the Ricketts and their, you know, political ties. And then it just puts a damper on everything. So well, I don't, I, I, in the old day, I was a Cub fan for many years and uh, the Ricketts threw me away from them. But I did not mind going to Wrigley Field when the Cubs were terrible uh, because it was just enjoying yeah, you just you you're just having fun with your friends. Like uh, the aforementioned husband of Romana and I go to Northwestern football games. Speaking of terrible teams, we just have fun and we talk politics the whole time. By the way, I quote: I literally wrote the quote down that Romana said, uh, and it, I don't think she meant it the way it sounded. She said, uh, "Mick, my husband actually had a good point." She didn't mean it's like actually had a good point, and that it's so rare that he has a good point. But then he made a good point. <laughs> By the way. I hope you have a column where you throw your husband under the bus and Gwyneth Paltrow. If there's not a column about her, uh, at least within oh, the first year. I'm I, I, I could just make a comment about Gwyneth Paltrow right now and Mick. I remember Mick told me he liked Gwyneth Paltrow, like he had a crush on her in the 90s. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? I mean, I'm not saying she's like, you know, terrible, but I was like, oh. That's interesting, <laughs> but um, I, I look nothing like her. I'm nothing like her, but you know he didn't. He doesn't know about the Gwyneth Paltrow that I know. I'm like, God, do you really know how how out of touch she is? But I don't know. I I, I I feel bad. Like I try to hold back to putting Mick under the throwing Mick under the bus too many times. But I mean, every day I have comic gold with their interactions because they're completely different. But um, I could I could write a couple of columns on that. Alone. I think it would be pretty funny. Uh, it's always one of my favorite parts of the show. Uh, all right. Uh, enough on the rickets. Uh, you mentioned uh, you're going to do a, a, a column, or excuse me, an editorial. You wrote an editorial for Sunday. And we've been talking all week long about the hearings, the Supreme Court hearings. Uh, gets my blood boiling. So I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, that spectacle that the Republicans made of the uh, the Supreme Court nomination hearings for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, uh, utter disgusting spectacle. Ramana Hussein, the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, so you know, I've just been so busy um, with work. I've been just kind of glancing at the headlines as the days were going on. You know, the uh, nomination hearings for Katanji Brown, um, Brown Jackson started on Monday, and there was a four day hearing. So um, I was assigned to write the editorial on the um, on the nomination hearings and her nomination. We're obviously supporting her nomination and are urging the Senate to vote for her. Um, so I was tasked to, tasked to do that. So I just started reading everything because I was just seeing clips. And, you know, I was like, what is this about? Like I heard about Ted Cruz and talking about racist babies. And then I was like, this is crazy. What is this? So I, you know, I kind of like read all the articles. I read Lynn Sweet. I read um, the AP stories and, you know, key takeaways from the hearings. And it just sound, it was just crazy. You know, Ted Cruz started off on Monday saying that um, this was not going to be a quote, political circus, unquote. And then him and his cronies went on to make it a political circus. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to ask, um, you know, Judge Jackson about her, you know, background, legal background, her credentials, anything having to do with her um, professional career. But then there was definitely questions that were asked of her that had nothing to do with, you know, 
law or her background. And it, it was, it, and it makes, it did, of course, everybody was like wondering, like, if she wasn't black, they would never ask her these questions. Of course, we're talking about critical race theory. Um, Lindsey Graham, who actually voted for her nomination on the appeal, uh, the federal appeals court, because she's currently a federal courts um, appeal, a uh, federal appeal courts judge, I'm probably saying it wrong. But um, so he voted for her last year. So it doesn't make any sense. It sounds like he doesn't want to vote for her. But he asked her like what about her religion and asked her if she could be fair to Catholics. I guess he's referring to Amy Co- um, Barrett Cohen. I'm like pronouncing her name right wrong too. Sorry. I'm like, but uh, anyway, the other, the other judge on there. Um, Amy Barrett Cohen. Yeah. Yeah, Bar- yeah. And then, and then of course, you know, there are all, a lot of the Republicans are still like salty about the Brett Kavanaugh hearings from 2018. And so they feel like he was, treated unfairly. So I feel like they're like, well, we're going to go after her. And, you know, um, I, I saw um, a lot of chatter on Twitter about um, how many black, a lot of black people were saying that, you know, this is what happens when there's a black person up for the job, whether it's a regular nine to five job, or it's somebody in this high position, they're held to the standard, which is just out of control. Um, there was another, there was another Senator who, uh, Senator Blackburn, who asked um, Judge Jackson <laughs> I think she was trying to get it to see where she was on a gender identity and asked her to define what a woman is. And the judge replied back saying, I'm not a biologist. And I thought that was pretty funny. So, you know, and and there's a lot of great pictures of Judge Jackson, you know, just kind of, you know, sitting there and you could look at her face. I mean, she was pretty much composed most of the time, but she was, you could tell that she was just like, oh my God. And, you know, and then there was this one moment on Wednesday where um, when Co- um, Corey Booker um, stopped and used his time to praise her and tell her that she's worthy and that she has earned it. And then he talked about how, you know, she represents Black America represents, you know, looks like members of his family. And it was a very uh, touching moment because that was when uh, Judge Jackson, you know, she was quietly, but there was a tear that like fled down her face. And that was a very poignant moment, I think. Um, So, you know, I I think these hearings are just very telling of what our country is and the problems of our country when it comes to race. I think this, in a nutshell, just captures what America is, just these hearings alone. And, you know, the the crazy thing is that um, we've only, I think, out of the 100 or something, you know, Supreme Court justices, we've only had three Black Supreme Court justices. And that's Thurgood Thurgood Marshall and Clarence Clarence Thomas, who's in the hospital. And, you know, he has his issues with his wife, as we know. Um, And then uh, this would be the third um, Black judge that we had in this country. And given the racial makeup of this country, that's very sad that this is the reflection that we've had on the Supreme Court. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting um, to see. I think she, I think even if all, so basically if all the Republicans vote against her and all the Democrats vote for her, which is supposed to be the case, she'll still get in. She'll, so she sounds like a shoe in unless all of a sudden there's a Democrat who decides not to vote for her. So far, it seems like they're all are leaning towards voting for her. So um, if all goes well, I think this committee is going to be voting for her nomination on April 4th and they want to get the confirmation in before 
like the next few days by April 8th, they want to get that in. So yeah, there's a lot to say. I mean, I think a lot of people have a lot to say. And, you know, people have mentioned her composure as I did and her grace. And a lot, I saw this one woman on Twitter, and I saw um, other people talking about like, she shouldn't be she shouldn't have, you know, she shouldn't be praised for that black people shouldn't have to deal with these kind of questions. And I think that's a good point. Like, we shouldn't even have she shouldn't have to do that. The, the people that should be criticized or should be, ta- you know, talked about are the people asking these ridiculous questions. And of course, all these people who are asking these questions are Senator Cotton and uh, Senator Hawley and Cruz. I mean, these are all people who are vying to run for president in 2024. So these dog whistles are definitely aimed towards their constituents. And the funny thing is like, so Ted Cruz, while he was talking about critical race theory, and he was talking about um, this book, Anti-Racist Baby, you know, he probably thought like, you know, he was, you know, he, he probably wanted all these Twitter likes about his questions and stuff. But the funny thing is that book, I think like went and skyrocketed back on, on like bestseller list and people started went out and buying it. So it kind of backfired on him, which is kind of funny. And, and, and during those hearings, he also, he also made a dumb quote. He also said something dumb about, he's like, I'm a Hispanic man. Can I be Asian? I think he was trying to go after and see what Judge um, Jackson thought about um, gender identity once again. So it was crazy. And of course, they went after her and they said that she was soft on crime. They brought up um, saying that she was, they were accusing her of being too lenient on um, sex offenders that she had sentenced. And a lot of people, a lot of judges and experts are saying, actually, that's not the case. And, you know, they they started going after her because she represented um, Guantanamo Bay detainees. And she pointed out that, you know, this is what our country is. It's you're basically um, innocent until proven guilty and everybody deserves a, you know, a fair trial. So I thought these are good points. And, she, you know, she also brought up that she is has no political agenda. She tried to put her religious beliefs aside. Um, and so she had a lot to say as well. So it was definitely an interesting hearing. I have to say that I didn't really watch them, but I did read about them. And but people have been watching them. Some of my friends have been texting me about it. And people obviously upset throughout the day were texting me. So um, it was several hours of just craziness. And there were some good, good spots, too. But it just sounds like there's a lot of craziness involved. I I, I tell you this, listening to your uh, riff there, a couple points pop into my head. Uh, And number one is, uh, I've, I, I, I've watched a lot of hearings like this. I got, it's like a little mini obsession of mine, not as intense as my love for the bulls, but almost. And so I've watched a wa- a lot of hearings and it, something that strikes me women in general, but black women in particular, particularly Democrats oh, yeah. are not allowed to counterpunch. I've seen so many white men come before hearings, Republicans, and when they're given hostile questions from Democrats, they counterpunch. Before your time, Oliver North in the 80s, counterpunched. Brett Kavanaugh, crying like a little baby, counterpunched. That, oh, the Clintons are picking on me, blah, blah, blah. And even Clarence Thomas, a black man, he got to counterpunch. Oh, this is a high-tech lynching. So Republicans feel like they're justified in counterpunching and crying about how they're being picked on. But you know those counselors that advised uh, Brown Jackson, Judge Brown Jackson, they told her, whatever you do, don't say anything. Don't eat that poker face. Don't let them see it. Because if you counterpunch, it's like, uh uh-oh, 
black woman counterpunching. It would be, it would be, they would call her the angry black woman. That's what they would do. That's, and, and, you know, yeah. And Clarence Thomas, I mean, I'm sorry to say, but, you know, he's not representative of a lot of black Americans. He's, he's, he's the black man that a lot of right wing white people like, um, as we know. And I mean, you know, there's been so many jokes about Clarence Thomas, but I remember the Oliver North hearings. Um, I was a teenager at the time, but um, I didn't understand a lot of it, but I remember all the characters that were in there, but yeah, all, you know, men can always get up and shout and they will be, they will be described as, you know, defending themselves and they can get angry, but you know, women and like, especially black women and women of color, but especially black women, if they lash out, they will be labeled as an angry black woman. So um, yeah, I bet her advisors did tell her, but you know, that could be her temperament as well, but she shouldn't have, I mean, she shouldn't, my, uh, my, uh, um, my editorial actually starts off saying that she shouldn't have had to sit through those questions. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. And the other point, uh, the Marsha Blackburn question, uh, what is a woman? And, you know, they make fun of lefties and liberals, mostly liberals for their political correctness, man, there's nobody more dedicated to the notion of political correctness than the uh, the right. And I'll tell you this, because there's an answer she was expecting, the politically correct answer, which is a woman is a mother. You know what I'm saying? And that's what she was looking for. That fits into their narrative. And I'm like, you know, not every woman is a, a mother, number one. And that is, is that all that defines a woman? Do you follow what I'm saying, Romana? And so... What I, what I mean by that is they have dedicated themselves to this narrative that governs their world, and they feel that's a successful narrative to preach at all times. So it means like denying that racism exists while saying this is the defined role for a woman. And they feel very comfortable, they being the Republicans. And I'm just tired of Democrats being so wimpy and not fighting back. But again, she was I'm sure she was cautioned. Don't cause any trouble. Don't bring attention to yourself. Just sit there and smile when you can. Do you follow what I'm saying? I would. Would you love to see her counterpunch and go? What is? What a stupid question that is. I mean, yeah, I agree. I I think that Blackburn wanted her to say something about the genitals. That's what I think because she was going after gender identity. So she wanted her to say. You know, if a, I know, I know she wanted her to say, like, if a person feels like a woman, even if they have like a penis, that's what she wanted her to say, because she wanted uh, Jackson to say that, you know, if anybody feels like a woman, they're a woman. That's what I think Blackburn was getting at. All right. We're going to go into the recommendations uh, aspect of the show. We're going to close it down. And you mentioned something. I'm going to start with because you mentioned something. And I have to say, I'm a little embarrassed to make this confession, uh, particularly to you. And when I make the confession, you'll understand why. Uh, the other day, I was just killing time. And I saw uh, on my screen, I was streaming, that they had available to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a movie I've already seen five times. I put it on, watched it a six time Romana I loved it as much this time as before I can't believe I'm saying this I love this so much and I thought about it because you mentioned the hippie girl the actress who actually plays the hippie girl does a great job that scene where Brad Pitt uh goes to Svan Ranch and ends up having the one-on-one with Bruce Stern uh who plays George Svan and then is so brilliant I'm like 
and I'm like, I'm watching it, and and Pam watch it with me. And I'm like, this is the scene Ramon always makes fun of because uh, they it uh, Sharon Tate, you only see her feet, or they focus on the feet. But I just want you to know. Tarantino focused on Brad Pitt's feet as well. <laughs> Did he? When he was walk- yes, he was obsessed with the moccasins. Uh, and he was but he had shoes with- on. But he had shoes on. That's the difference. Well, no, uh, Sharon Tate uh, in the scene in uh, uh, when she was walking through uh, Hollywood and she goes to the movie and watches herself was wearing first white go-go boots. And then you're right. Correct. She took her feet off and then he's, yeah, he does have an obsession with his feet. All right. So it's hardly a recommendation that anybody needs, but I just have to share that with you, Ramana six times. I need help. Yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. I've so. only watched it once. It was enough. It was enough. Yeah. It was enough for you. Uh, but I'm just telling you six times. All right. Uh, so what recommendation do you have for us? Uh, I have to say, so the Oscars are this Sunday, and I'm actually going on vacation this weekend, so I'm going to miss it. I taped them. I'm going to get spoilers, but um, I really wanted to watch um, Drive My Car. It is a Japanese movie. It's three hours long. Um, Some people might find it slow, but I really liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, It's based on a short story, and uh, I think it has elements of this author's um, other stories as well. It's Murakami. It's his last name. Um, I thought I thought it was really great. I thought the acting was really great. Um, I I enjoyed it. I hope it gets some awards. So I did I did I did like that a lot. And I would recommend that everybody watches the Oscars this week if you're not too bored with it already. And um, if you're looking for something mild, mindless, and anybody who's watched the Tinder Swindler, have you seen that at all? Mm-mm. There's like been a slew of documentaries and shows about people like ripping people off like on dating sites and and so i saw this one called the bad vegan a couple days ago i saw it trending on netflix and I was, it's like so it's about this woman who owns it's a documentary i mean the tinder swindler is about this guy who just rips women off he's on tinder and he convinces them to give him like send him money like twenty thousand dollars and all these women like he tells them he's rich but He's asking them for money and they still do it. It's just like, it's, it's just perplexing. It's like Pete Davidson perplexing. <laughs> anyway, the bad vegans about this woman who owns this like successful restaurant in New York and all these celebrities go to this restaurant. It's a raw food um, restaurant. And she ends up meeting this guy um, via Twitter. And he's, it's another case of where this guy's like, basically he, he promises her that he's, he tells her that he's not a human being and that he lives in this, he's like different existence and he will make her dog immortal. And this woman went to like Wharton, she went to business school at Wharton. She's like, she believes him. And then she ends up sending money to this guy and giving him all this money. And he's like, you don't understand this is all part of the plan. So I can get you to join this community. So she ends up giving him $1.5 million in total. And she ends up going to jail because she ends up screwing up all her workers and employees at a restaurant and a restaurant eventually closes down. And she wanted to be part of this documentary to show her side of the story. But I was like, I just don't get it. And it's, but there's been a lot of funny chatter on Twitter about how these documentaries, a lot of uh, people of color, especially black people are pointing out. They're like, this shows you that white people can get credit and just loans pretty quickly if they can send this kind of money to people when they tell them they need it. It's just, it's just, I don't know. If you're looking for something mindless, Tinder swindlers like a one 
like a less than two hour documentary. Everybody was watching at one point and bad vegan. I saw it trending on Netflix. So I thought I'd watch it and Netflix. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. So it was Tinder swindlers on um, Netflix too. All right, it's a mindless the popcorn, you know, documentaries uh, to watch. And uh, speaking of mindless shows that I'm so obsessed with, well, I'll close by just saying I recommended this to you when we were chatting the other day. Uh, the, the Magic Johnson L.A. Lakers show on HBO is a blast. I can't get anybody interested in it, but my wife and I, we are just loving it. We've watched the first three. We can't wait for it. John C. Riley plays Jerry Buss. Who owns He's a great the, actor. He kills it, Ramona. Kills it in this role. It's worth it just to watch him. And so I urge you to check it out. Uh, when you get a chance, when you come back from your vacation. Uh, and uh, so I want you to have a great vacation and get rested and relaxed and ready to go so that uh, when you come back on my show in two weeks, you're just going to be filled with uh, rejuvenated ideas. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, Romano Hussein, thank you very much. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader